Hello and welcome to the weekly podcast for the Michael Reed Show on LMFM. This is Michael Reed, and over the course of the next while, we listen back to some of the best parts from the show from the week gone by. On Monday, there was nothing but talk of the election. Let's listen back to some of our conversations with newly elected TDs, Imelda Munzer of Sinn Féin and Thomas Byrne of Fianna Fáil. Now let's go back uh, to that uh, very pleased uh, re-elected TD, Imelda Munster, who's uh, with us in uh, studio. You were saying it was a, a great uh, day for Sinn Féin. It certainly was nationally, uh, but uh, as you said as well, a great day uh, locally in Laos there were both yourself and Rory O'Murk who were uh, elected yesterday. Uh, and I think that there probably had been some question over as to whether there was actually two Sinn Féin seats in the constituency because there had always been one uh, which Arthur Morgan uh, sort of was enshrined into until Gerry Adams moved in. And a lot of people thought that it was uh, the profile of Gerry Adams that would have delivered the second seat. So this really is a victorious moment for you. It was very good. And uh, if I can say, firstly, um, I want to thank every single man and woman who walked into the polling booth and cast their vote for me and for my party, Sinn Féin, and also for my colleague, Rory O'Rourke. And I want to thank the activists who ploughed the streets morning, noon and night, uh, the party members locally and all around the constituency, um, who this is... This seat belongs to the people and it was everybody combined that took this seat. But I wasn't expecting the vote that I got in in any shape or form. I had said going into this that this is going to be a battle for us to hold on to the two seats. But you could sense the mood for change on the campaign. You could have got a third TD, couldn't you? You could have, well, yeah, yeah, probably. But you could sense the mood for change on the campaign and you could could feel the momentum. But to be honest... You know, I wouldn't have predicted the momentum mm. was that strong. It was mm. just phenomenal. I mean, I said to you off air there, yesterday it was a part of history. It but was why? I mean, Sinn Féin has been a, a magnet. You could have put anybody on the ticket and they'd have been elected. Uh, we're reading out names of people mm. we never heard of before and believed that some of the candidates were on holidays and weren't even here campaigning and got elected and so on. Uh, it was the Sinn Féin brand. Why is that? Because I think our message resonated with people. Uh, I think people are sick and tired of the two main parties. They've been, they've been given every single opportunity since the foundation of the state between them. Their, people are tired of their... their you like their arrogance even in the throughout the mm. election campaign dictating who could have a seat before a single vote was cast um i think people want to to have ordinary people's voices heard in the corridors of power and we Sinn Féin will do that and uh will be the voice for for families and workers mm. and they're the people that literally felt that they weren't being represented anymore they our message resonated, and the, as well as that, I think that people said we'll give Sinn Féin a chance, okay. and we won't let them down. All right, Thomas Byrne has uh, been uh, returned as a TD in Meath East uh, for Fianna Fáil. He's with us as well. Good morning to you, and morning, congratulations Michael. to you. Uh, thanks very much, and I too would like to thank uh, uh, the voters of Meath East who've trusted me with the uh, election to the Dáil, actually for the third time now. Uh, I'm really uh, privileged, honoured, um, and I certainly will not let uh, the electorate down. I also want to thank my own team, uh, Mid East is a mixture of urban and some very rural areas. There's a lot of driving around country roads canvassing mm. over the last few weeks and 
it was particularly dangerous actually at, within the dark nights and heavy traffic so I want to acknowledge that there was a lot of work put in by a lot of people yeah, over you, the last You've had a successful campaign you've been elected and congratulations to you but this was Fianna Fáil's election to lose and it would seem as though you've lost it and it would seem as though it's because uh, you're not in touch with people. You're you're uh, you're you're only in touch with old people. You're you're the parties of the past, uh, and that was most evident in the first leaders' debate. The two men in the grey suits who really didn't have any vision for this country, who didn't have anything different to say between them. Well, look, Michael. I mean, I want to pay tribute to my uh, colleague Shane Castles, who lost his seat yesterday as well. And there's no doubt it has been a difficult day uh, for Fianna Fáil in, in in many constituencies. But it does look like uh, we may well be the largest party in the Dáil. Uh, and I think that we certainly recognise... That's only because Sinn Féin didn't run enough candidates. It's, it's because we got the most seats, um, hopefully, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. End yeah. of the day. End of the yeah, day. Yeah. They, they, Sinn Féin wouldn't have won extra seats in, in Mead, for example. They might have won an extra one allowed. I don't know. Uh, and different dynamics were at play. And yes, there was an absolutely extraordinary uh, desire for change. And mm. what I would say is, if that change doesn't happen very mm. quickly, people will get frustrated mm. with all of the parties. Well, unless you adopt Sinn Féin policies and well, all of that, as people get older and die, you, you, you won't get anybody elected. Sorry, um, it, we, there was a lot of their policies that are really, really attractive. And if I thought we mm. could do them, abolishing property tax, abolishing USC, and then taxing mm. someone else, we'd all do it if we mm. thought we could do it. And and, and let's see. Um, we'd love to do it. Um, but I think there needs to be, you know, but clearly with housing and health, mm. there is a massive desire for change. And mm. I think it's up to all of us to deliver that in terms of what the next mm. government will be. Yeah. Um, uh, what will uh, the next government be? How will it be formed? It's a very, very good question yeah. because mm. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of parties. Uh, it's three three parties there with a significant block. There's also mm. Greens, Labour, and Social Democrats mm. seats as well. They're there. Mm. Um, in well, one way, in one way, it, it, the most important thing actually is that we do deliver change on housing, mm. and we particularly housing that people have a chance to live in their own homes. Uh, that that was the massive. Ah, issue but you had a chance when you were in government, Sorry, Mike, Gale. Uh, and. Michael, we, we, I've been given a chance by the electorate. Yes. It's the same mandate as anybody else mm. has been elected to yeah, Dáil yeah, I intend yeah. to use that mandate mm. to the best of my ability mm. and my party's ability to actually deliver radical mm. change in housing. That's what I want to do. It won't be any good if we don't do that. Will you oppose a coalition with Sinn Féin? Well, that's the position that we gave and for a number of reasons. Uh, and they're yeah. very, they're very Martin seems to be welching on his words. Sorry, Michael. I mean, do we want a government or not? Okay, that's the question. Okay, We gave reasons for not going into coalition with Sinn mm. Féin. They're very serious reasons, uh, genuine reasons. Uh, the public has thrown up a result there mm. and I think the public requires uh, a government. Mm. Uh, and that's what's going to happen over the next few weeks. Okay, and I hope. Yeah. But it's but Melda Munster, it seems as though you've business to do with I, the we, man we, beside we, you. We haven't said that. We haven't said that. But we do, we are hungry to deliver and get into mm. government and to make sure we can deliver that change. Mm. Uh, and what's the alternative to Sinn Féin? Are you going to go into a coalition with uh, Fine Gael or merge with Fine Gael? No, is the simple answer. Um, mm. But I, I think, Michael, now I think we need to take the, uh, the word of the electorate very, very seriously mm. indeed. And that's mm. what we have to do. Well, I think Fianna Fáil better take the word of the electorate seriously because, as you said, you've most of the seats, you've the majority of seats in the Dáil. Uh, but if you go back to the electorate, that will change. That, that was clear. If uh, what happened uh, on, sa- on Saturday is repeated, Sinn Féin will have more seats. Well, I don't think anybody can predict election outcomes. We just had one on Saturday. Yeah. Let's use the mandates that we've all been elected on to try mm. to, to try to form a mm. government and to, to effect change. And it's not going to happen if we just all sit around arguing about things. We need to actually go in there and try to deliver policies that are reasonable mm. and actually will, will actually work mm. and will actually solve the problems that we have. OK, will you be told what to do, Imelda Munster? 
No, certainly not. And we've said that from the start. I mean, Sinn Féin are up for government. Mm. We want to be in government to bring about the changes. Yeah, but all these uh, policies that you have that are, are unworkable. Will no, you no, be told no, what no, to no, do? But you see, that's mm. exactly what people are tired of. The mm. same Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael saying these aren't workable. It's mm. because of their ideology. Sinn Féin are ambitious for Ireland. Our, our manifesto is ambitious. Our policies are costed. The only reason they haven't, either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael haven't, gone with our policies is because they don't believe that's their right wing in their thinking. They don't mm. actually believe in giving families and workers a break. And that's the message people sent to them yesterday. We're sick of you. We're tired of the same thing. It's politics of mm. the past. And we are ambitious. Mary Lewis said she will talk to all parties. Talk to everybody about our manifesto and our policies. Um, would you like to be a junior partner in government with Fianna Fáil? I want to, we want to be in government. I want to secure our place in government to deliver for the people. Mm. And it has to be on our manifesto because we, we're the ones that will bring about mm. change, the only ones that will bring about change. And that was evident, even at the count yesterday. I mean, Fianna Fáil have always said, you know, they're not, in mm. the gov- even though the p- people knew they were. But the Fianna Fáil vote was right down the whole time and they're, and they, they're the ones saying they're mm. not in government people Thomas see Brown, right through it could, could, you, could you envisage seriously down based on, on the figures that we're looking at uh, which is uh, that Fianna Fáil would probably have more than 40 seats uh, Sinn Féin may be in or around 40 seats uh, could you envisage uh, being a junior partner in government with Sinn Féin uh, Michael, I think n- no is the answer, but I think I think we need to have, each of us has to respect for the mandate that each of us has received uh, and the message that has come from the public, which is loud and clear. And the idea that one is better than the other doesn't stack up. The three the three main parties have got similar votes. Sinn Féin got uh, some more votes. We got more votes than, than uh, Fine Gael. We get more seats. Every party has their own mandate. And I think that mandate has to be respected. And in elections, there were swings and roundabouts. Last summer, uh, we saw... Uh, you know, Sinn Féin mm. run it down or they're back on, on, on the up as well now and that's uh, congratulations I certainly I certainly congratulate all the candidates mm. that, that have been elected but the desire for change is very very real and if politicians keep arguing or keep saying my plan is better than yours uh, I think the public will get frustrated with all of us mm. I think it's incumbent on all of us to deliver deliver really rather than change deliver houses deliver uh, hospital appointments. That's really what it's down to, mm. actually getting the systems to work. Okay, uh, but Sinn Féin won the popular vote, so uh, does that argument not counter what you're saying? No, I, I acknowledge that. Mm. I know, but does it not counter what you're saying that when it comes no, with no, more, but, people, but saying, more people... Yeah, sorry, but what I'm saying is that every party got a very similar vote. Mm. They, they got a couple of percent more. There's no one mm. got double mm. what anyone else got in terms of the three main parties. Mm. So I think all of the plans have to be looked at and respected. Mm. And this is actually what the public wants to deliver and that we should work constructively and together rather than saying mine is better than yours. There are ideas in their manifesto that I agree with. There's lots of them I don't. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's things in our manifesto that they agree with as well. And there are surely, surely we can get together, all of the parties, mm. and say, let's, let's see mm. what's the best path for a government to actually deliver for the people. Okay. What Thomas is missing out on, um, what happened yesterday was in fact a rising the people actually stood up and spoke and said they're tired. They are just sick and tired of the politics of the past. They have a vision for their country. They want workers and families to get a break. They want a health service that you're not waiting months or years for an appointment. They want a roof over their head. Mm. Young couples who are fleeced with rents. And you've just opposed everything we've tried to do in there to... um, fleeced paying rents can never save for a mortgage. Okay. You've ripped the back out of 
communities and society and people sent you that message and we in Sinn Féin are ambitious for this country and our manifesto is ambitious and we'll make no apologies through it. We want to be in government and we will talk to everyone. Mary Lou has already okay. indicated Quick that we've response, talked to Thomas everyone Byrne, to bring because, uh, You were nodding at some of what the Melbourne was, was said, uh, but you were also throwing your eyes up to heaven at well, one I, time. I was, I, and that's the way parties should be, that you would agree with things that people say and disagree with other things that they say but not to take a high-handed approach that we're right and no, I said the wrong. people have spoken. The people have people spoken. Have the spoken. People, are the right. people have and the people are right, and the people have given a mandate shared out among a large number of parties. Okay. And yes. I think it's up to us to work and to deliver the houses and the health service mm. that the public deserves and the public have shouted for. And I think we're we're certainly in a position. I hope to do that in this okay. time. Well, look, thanks to both of you for coming into us uh, this morning. Indeed, uh, congratulations to both of you on uh, getting re-elected. Uh, that's uh, uh, Melda Munster, uh, Sinn Féin TD in Louth, and uh, Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil TD in. Mid-East. Michael Reed on LMFM. Incidentally, as things stand, Sinn Féin now have uh, 29 seats, uh, Fine Gael 16, Fine Gael 14. Uh, there's uh, 10 seats uh, then that have, uh, beg your pardon, Sorry, my screen has just gone down. I mean, I'll come back to that in a, a moment. Uh, but let's uh, take a look at the Louth constituency. We'll be going to Louth uh, for uh, counting there that will be resuming shortly. As we've been hearing, uh, we've uh, two TDs elected there as it stands. Uh, that's uh, Melda Munster and Rory Omuraku of Sinn Féin. It looks as though Fergus O'Dowd and Declan Brannock are going to be re-elected and then there'll be a, a fight for the final seat, it would seem, uh, between uh, Peter Fitzpatrick, Jed Nash, Mark Deary uh, and uh, that will be one of uh, the more interesting uh, battles uh, across uh, the coming hours. On Tuesday's programme I spoke to Nolene Blackwell of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre about the first successful prosecution for the offence of coercive control. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, this uh, prosecution for the offence of coercive control. It's the first time that a person has been prosecuted on what became law last January. Kevin Dunleavy is 33 years of age and he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison but uh, five or the final nine months of uh, that sentence uh, was suspended. Nolene Blackwell is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. She's on the line. And good morning to you, Nolene, and thanks for joining us. Uh, what is coercive control? All right. So it is a, a crime that has been put into our legislation by the Domestic Violence Act of 2018, which became live on the 1st of January 2019. And what it is, is it focuses on where somebody engages in a pattern of behaviour which is designed to manipulate, to control, to coerce somebody in a particular way. It's a kind of intimate blackmail. It's a way of uh, diminishing a person, reducing them, making them subject to somebody else's control. And it is normally a series of acts. It's rarely just Mm. one order, but it is, uh, as in this case... 6,000 calls, a woman not being allowed out without her phone. When she was on her phone somewhere, she had to scan her location mm. so that her, um, the, the man with whom she'd had a good relationship mm. for years could see where she was. So it was all that business controlling her, making her behave in a certain way, 
forcing her to be uh, to do exactly what her partner and, and then ex-partner had said in a very toxic way. It was described as a toxic relationship. In some ways, people suggest things to other people. That's not coercion. People can talk back. This was a way in which somebody managed to isolate and reduce somebody to a point where they were controlling another human being who, who was or had been their intimate partner. 6,000 calls over four months. Uh, that made me scratch my head and uh, I'm still scratching my head, to be honest. Uh, it really is an incredible amount of times to ring somebody. If I, if I was to call you and every day for a month, uh, I mean, that would be an average of 30 calls mm-hmm. a month. Over yeah. four, four months, Nolene, that would be uh, 120 calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make 6,000 calls in, in four months, uh, and I actually uh, got a calculator out earlier on and totted it up, it's 50 calls a day. Yes, and sometimes probably more. Now, I will say this, Michael, it's not unique. Uh, this is the, the mobile phone has mm. become a way in which people who are abusing uh, their relationship are actually using the phone on that kind of a regular mm. basis, sending the text messages yeah. every few minutes. Now, if I was to um, call you 50 times a day, Nolene, I, I, I'd drive you mad. I, I know I would. You would. No, 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 no matter how pleasant my calls were, if I, if I was ringing you every other minute, I'd drive you mad if I called you 50 times a, a day. But there's quotes uh, from one of uh, the messages uh, that was played to the court yesterday. If I was to call you 50 times a day and scream down the phone, I'll kill you. I'll cut your throat. I'll get you. Mark my words. I'll get you tomorrow night. Uh, and that's obviously typical of the type of calls that this woman was taking. Uh, it would send you over the edge, quite possibly. Yeah. So, so it is. In fact, it is. Uh, it, it's a very clear sign. Uh, very often, coercive control is harder to recognise than that. That is manifestly threatening, harassing, and and what the law now does is puts that in the context of somebody who is the mother of your children, as mm. it was in this case, the mm. person with whom you've lived in an intimate relationship. And while, as we come up to Valentine's Day, Michael, we remember that an awful lot of intimate relationships are loving good ones where people empower other people but there is still this minority of where power is abused and in this case it was abused by controlling her movements But uh, by, by controlling her behaviour, um, often there's emotional control, uh, there's sexual abuse, uh, there's so many ways in which uh, 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 intimate relationships can be abused behind closed doors in a way in which people think they cannot be caught. And that has been a problem along the way. So yeah. having this mm-hmm. new piece of legislation is important because it allows it to be named. Abuse of an intimate relationship is a serious crime and that mm. that coercion, that treating somebody else as a lesser human being, uh, as an unequal person, as mm. someone to be manipulated, all of that is wrong and it's wrong in law and, it, uh, and, and indeed uh, the head of the Gardaí's Protective Services uh, Bureau recognised that the Gardaí in this case had done a, had done a good job mm. and had brought it to an end but can you and, and had provided uh, the support. Can, can, can you understand or can you begin or try to understand why somebody might behave that way? It, it, it may be wrong, uh, but 
it can't be good for them themselves because no. they're, they're, they're living with that, uh, that anger uh, yeah. and that horrible life uh, that, uh, I mean, uh, was probably spelt out in uh, the bit that I read out a, a moment ago. Now, I, I think there was drink and drugs involved in this. Dunleavy was told yeah. to stay off the drink and drugs. Uh, but undoubtedly there was more to it than that. There, there had to be. I yeah. mean, he started off as a, a good partner, a good father, yeah. uh, and then uh, became obsessive, but also began to cheat himself. Yes. Uh, so so there, there is a whole lot of areas in which you're kind of saying, how could anyone get away with it? And the truth is that it happens in a lot of situations. It can be hard to identify. Take a very different example. Um, harassment and bullying in the workplace. Mm. That can happen as well. But there's a slightly greater chance that someone will see it who, is, who, is, who will be able to maybe put a stop to it or make the person rethink their, their thinking in an intimate relationship where a, where a person may be mainly worried about their children, uh, maybe trying to protect the children in some particular way, where abuse starts and where it goes unchecked. That's a lot of the problem. So if we can, if we can focus on um, ensuring that people who feel they're being abused have a safe place to say it, have a way of dealing with it, have a way of reporting it to the Gardaí in a way that they will be believed, then it will stop or it will reduce happening because what allows abuse to increase in any relationship, if you can abuse power a little, there's kind of a temptation to do it a little bit more mm. and a little bit more. Here, this was entirely out of control mm. and probably, you know, just probably grew over time to the point where the man's behaviour, you know, the, the burning of her clothes, mm. um, uh, all of, all of the things associated with this were kind of classic what we imagine as domestic violence, but it is stopping at the start, having a way of saying that is an abusive situation. I will not put up with it. Yeah. I do not have to put up with it. And then knowing who to contact uh, when, when that happens. Mm. Um, and sometimes it'll be the Gardaí. Sometimes people won't want to contact the Gardaí, but Women's Aid has a 24-hour helpline uh, that's uh, available for anybody who wants to just discuss mm-hmm. it. Because none of us actually want to say about an intimate partner either that they have been, uh, you know, that they have turned rogue or whatever. So, you know, we, we, we have to kind of accept that in our own heads sometimes. It's only when we look back on something and say, my God, how did I put up with that situation for so long? But they shouldn't. And this kind of case should be one that says people should, if they feel that they're in that situation, I'll give you our helpline number, I'll give you the mm-hmm. Women's Aid helpline mm-hmm. number. People should at least question that behaviour, should not allow it to, 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 they should not allow another person to dominate mm. and enslave them. Because as you say, you can start off as a, a few phone calls a, a day and then get out of hand, uh, up to a, a point uh, where uh, the victim in this was sitting in a, a pub socialising and he came in, pulled her out uh, by the collar of her jumper and then beat her up outside. Uh, the Women's yeah. Aid helpline number is one eight hundred three four one nine hundred. 341 We'll give out the Dublin Rape Crisis helpline number in a moment uh, just to give people forewarning if uh, they'd like to get a, a pen and paper and write it down. Of course it's available on the internet or, or uh, through the radio station. Uh, but uh, you're suggesting that there's people listening to us who could be in relationships like this. You said a few moments ago that this is not a unique case. No, and and my bet is that there are 
there are people and, and who feel there is no way out who di- don't believe they would be, who don't believe that they will be able to do something about it and it's important to name it and it's important to recognize that our law also now recognizes that within intimate relationships there can be uh, there can be uh, there is a recognition that uh, the relationship can be one which is demeaning the other person, mm. which is designed to reduce them and designed to harm them. And this behaviour is harmful. And our law has now said we will not tolerate this. We will put people in jail if it's bad enough. We will prosecute if it's bad enough um, and if we recognise it. And we will recognise that it is a thing. And that has been missing. It's been mm. a little bit of the jigsaw that wasn't there before. No, Lee, were, you surprised, were you surprised uh, that after this man was uh, arrested uh, that uh, the victim visited him in prison and gave him a hundred euro uh, and uh, according yeah. to his defence, a love letter. Yeah, so so the thing is that, again, you are talking, I'm, I'm not one bit surprised, mm. Michael, to yeah, answer your yeah, question yeah, straight yeah. because the thing is, this is somebody, part of her history is their joint history and her children are his children. And there is um, a level at which we have to recognise that human re- beings are complicated people and that we will, we will remember things in complicated ways. We'll remember the good and the bad. Um, people will still also have, um, they'll have... They'll work their own way through something. Uh, they, it may take them time to think about something. People don't stay angry forever. Mm-hmm. People can move on. So there are so many reactions that yeah. no, I would not want to test, I would not want to predict anybody else's reaction. And it is very, kind of thing. very, very complicated if you're in a situation like that. But there is help at hand, as you say, for people if they are in that situation to unravel what's going on. Uh, if we can give out uh, your helpline number now, this is a 24 hour number for the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, and that's 1 800 77 88 88. 1 800 77 88 88. Nolene, thank you as always. Thank you, Michael. And Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive. Officer of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. On Wednesday, we had the former President Mary Robinson and Bono on the programme, and somebody who Bono described as a rock star. That's Drogheda native Geraldine Byrne Nason, who is the Irish ambassador to the United Nations. And we heard more about an Irish government initiative, Drive for Five, which hopes to see 130 million girls around the world get into education. Now let's return uh, to uh, this Irish initiative uh, to get some 130 million girls who are not in education into education around uh, the world. It's a drive for five objectives, which was presented uh, to the United Nations yesterday. The five objectives are that she has a desk, she is confident, she learns uh, the skills she needs, she is safe and she is healthy. One of uh, the women who presented this on behalf of Ireland to the United Nations is uh, somebody who did go to school, went to school in Greenhills in Drogheda. Her name is Geraldine Byrne Nason, and she is Ireland's permanent representative to the United Nations. Our discussion today will be led by our very own in-house warrior for gender equality, executive director of UN Women from Zile and Labo and Guka. 
from Zile, as you know, is the former Deputy President of South Africa, veteran of her country's apartheid struggle. And uh, from Zile, I think you embody our fierce determination not to accept being kept down. Also moving uh, up to join us on the stage is Bono, founder of ONE, a global movement to eradicate extreme poverty and preventable disease. Bono, <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you very much. You're the... <laughs> You're actually the only man I know who's featured at the Glamour Woman of the Year Award, something I've aspired to myself. From the past. Um, you did overcome huge adversity by your own admission there, by being a millionaire white dude. So, uh, and if that's not enough, this Irish dude also uh, plays a mean guitar and is known to, to lead a band or two in his spare time. Mary Robinson, this house knows you well. You're the woman who convinced a generation in Ireland that women don't just rock the cradle, but we can rock the system too. I'm really proud to say we got that message in Ireland early and we elected you as the first female president of Ireland. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were in office during the heady Beijing years and you later, of course, were UN High Commissioner for Human Rights and UN Envoy on Climate Change. Today you're here as the Chair of the Elders. And Alice Albright, our Chief Executive Officer of the Global Partnership for Education, a powerful partnership and a fund which is working with 65 developing country governments as well as donor governments and civil societies dedicated to achieving equitable quality and learning, uh, quality education and learning for all. And finally, you don't really, you don't really need to be introduced, Nibras. You've already come to us. 21-year-old, she described to you her birth in, uh, as a young Yazidi woman in northern Iraq. She didn't speak any English when she came here in 2015, and now she's studying economics at a university. I think that says it all. There you go. That's a, a woman who went uh, to school in Green Hills in Drogheda, Geraldine Byrne Nason, uh, who is Ireland's ambassador to the United Nations, introducing a, a panel of people who were about uh, to talk about the drive for five, five objectives to get 130 million girls into education uh, across uh, the world. Uh, I'm not uh, sure if uh, the edge was listening, but he might have been uh, a little bit concerned about how uh, Geraldine had promoted Bono to being guitar player for you two there but as I say uh, I'm not sure anyway uh, let's uh, continue with uh, the proceedings uh, as you heard Geraldine say uh, the uh, event was uh, to be hosted uh, to a large degree by uh, the executive director of uh, UN Women this is Fumzile Mlabo Nguka in, in Beijing education was one of the critical areas and was embraced by everybody. But also the girl child was profiled in Beijing. We used to talk about children. It was only in Beijing that the African women fought to say we want something to be said about the girl child. And that opened Pandora's box because then child marriage, FGM, being denied education, all of those issues came out. Hard work has been done on education. Investments, limited as they may be, have been made 
on education, and yet in 2018, half a billion women and girls uh, 15 years and over worldwide still lack basic education. What's up, Mary? What's up, Mary? The Mary she was referring to was the ex-president of Ireland, Mary Robinson. And I think you've tried a lot yourself and UN Women, your team, to get heads of state, male or female, and they're mostly male still, um, to take on this issue um, of uh, forwarding the position of the girl child. Um, It has to become a real political priority, um, and it isn't yet enough of a priority. The fact that 130 million girls um, are deprived and... um, You know, um, a very significant proportion don't go on to secondary education. That's the real issue. So um, how do we make it a real political priority um, where uh, the, the value, the economic value, the development value, the sustainable development value, the value in tackling issues like climate justice that I'm very concerned about, as you know, and all of those issues will benefit if we make it a political priority to enable girls to take those five steps and have the 12 years of quality education. That's all it takes. Um, It means budgets, it means resources, but it's the political will at the highest level. And, you know, um, that's what we have to work on this year in support of you and Beijing Plus 25. Mary says we need the political will. It has to be a top priority for those who are political decision makers. Bono, from your perspective, from where you sit, what do you identify as a critical barrier to the success we so crave for? Now, before Bono responded uh, to that specific question from Fumsili Mlabo Nguka, he had some praise uh, for Drogheda native Geraldine Bernason. Wrong age. Wrong gender, but I am Irish, and as a superwoman there, Geraldine pointed out, we were greatly enhanced. Our entire success as a country has come from investments in in, in education, so, so much so. And my own, you know, I've done very well out of education. That's where I met the three members of you two and my missus, as it happened, in a comprehensive on the north side of Dublin. Um, and the Secretary General has just left the building, so I think we can talk about him behind his back. He is sitting in his chair at probably the most difficult time for a Secretary General since this building was built in, whenever it was, the 50s, early 50s. And uh, Nehemiah and... Corbusier, whatever, who built an amazing building. It's amazing that it exists. And it might not exist, is the truth, unless we work to keep it in business. And he is facing extraordinary challenges. And probably at the top of his list is what you would say, which is the climate crisis. And it's the climate crisis that makes me listen extra hard to our five here tonight. Because... It's a very complex political, economic, scientific set of problems. And we're not going to figure it out um, without everybody here. It's the, the climate crisis may be man-made, but it's likely to be woman-solved. 
And we're not going to save Mother Earth with just our sons. Our daughters are necessary. Um, my daughter's kind of your own, roughly your own age there. She tells me there's no place on Earth where there is gender parity. So I think actually maybe it's not an obstacle. It's, it's actually, it's a sink or swim situation. The climate crisis is so extraordinary. I think of one of these girls who today is not getting access to education will be one of those girls that tomorrow finds that innovation that unlocks the climate crisis. I mean, we, we think of the climate crisis as a very simple thing, but it's, this entire building is made out of carbon. The city of New York, just look around, it's, just, it's all carbon. It's not just the... You know, as we all know this, it's not just the obvious. So we really need brilliant, brilliant women. So it's not just access to the classroom, it's access to the science lab, to, to, to government. And so I think that's probably... I think we met, we're, the, the, the patriarchy, as my daughter refers to me as, <laughs> she's, we're, the, the thing that might save us is we're just not stupid enough to not ask for help from all that we can find it. And that means women and access to education. Is that kind of an answer? Paul Bono Hewson speaking to an Irish government hosted event at the United Nations in New York. The drive for five objectives to get 130 million girls around the world into education. And like I suppose any Irish event, there was music. Uh, the difference perhaps with this event that the music was performed by girls from all over the world. Irish music performed by girls from all over the world. And uh, there was more about music uh, because Bono was asked about his next song by the former president, Mary Robinson. Indeed, Mary Robinson uh, suggested to Bono what the theme for the next song might be. And uh, you may keep in mind uh, that this is part of the Drive for Five. Possible, they are unstoppable. We've all seen. We've all learned that, and Bono is getting it at home. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Bono, you've been involved in many outstanding initiatives. Um, it's nice to sit next to a true rock star. It doesn't happen to me every day. That's I right. tell you, that's why I'm saying. <laughs> Bono, why don't you? Take those five acts, act, yeah. actions that yes. I've talked about in very simple language yeah. and make a massive song. Yes. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I actually first came across Sunita as an um, artist. I don't know if you know this, Sunita, but I, I heard your work a few, a, few, it was a few years ago. I was mesmerized by it. You'd do a better job than I on girls' education. I have a funny feeling, but I, I do like the Drive for Five. There was a hmm. it was Drive for Five initiative at home, but it was about the Dublin team getting back the, uh, <laughs> the game. But uh, I, I like the cohesion of the Drive yeah. for Five, and I like the five-year anniversary. And I'm, yes. Think about it. I'm at your service, as always. <laughs> so, we there know- you go. That's... Uh, 
rock stars uh, and uh, luminaries. Uh, we heard uh, from Bono uh, and, of course, uh, the rock star, as he said himself, uh, Mary Robinson, and the other rock star, star Geraldine Byrne Nason, all speaking at uh, that Irish government initiative, Drive for Five. On Thursday's programme, the ongoing gangland feud in Drogheda was in the spotlight once again as the funeral of 17-year-old Keen Mulready Wads was about to take place. The funeral is taking place in Drogheda today of Keen Mulready Wads, who died a little over a month ago on the 12th of January. As you know, Keen Mulready Wads was murdered as part of a brutal feud between two criminal gangs, and his body parts were left in different parts of Dublin City. Not all of his body has been recovered. His parents, Elizabeth and Barry, have asked for privacy, and he'll be missed by his siblings, Darren Courtney, Ryan and Jack, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins and a large circle of friends. Indeed, many of his friends have been trying to come to terms with Keane's death and a lot of these kids are fans of rap music and have expressed themselves in this way. Keen, my bro, paper promise too soon. Now you're above us with the stars and the moon. One in a million with a heart of gold. So many stories and memories to be told. You would do anything for anyone. Shine bright above us just like the sun. Forever 17, forever young. The best of crap and so much fun. When a friend text me about this rap, I knew I had to do it for your chap. Taking too soon, just don't feel real. When I heard the music, got me caught up in the fields. You know, mad for the voice, pure dead devil. Man's for his beef, put the pedal to the metal. Rest easy, bro, you really were the best. May you get the best, but in your eternal rest. Let your memory live on through your family and friends. King of all kings, you were 10 out of 10. Although you're gone, and it feels so wrong. Let's keep your name living on through the song. Rest easy, bro. Sneak tight. One young person's way of paying tribute to his friend, Keen Mulready Woods, who was murdered as part of an ongoing criminal feud in Drogheda. Now, rap music is important to these young people, but bizarrely, rappers from around the world have been paying tribute to Keen. Here's Vanchi Ferrari. Hey, hey, this is your boy Vanchi Ferrari, and I want to give a special shout-out to... Kane Mulready Woods and his sister Courtney. Kane was a big fan of mine, I was told today. But his life just got taken away. 17 year old kid, man. Pretty sad. So, not the best way to discover this kid. But we're gonna keep it jiggy. Condolences goes out to the friends and the families. And um, Ken, I know you remember the song because he played it every day. So guess what? Just play that thing up there for me, man. Make best friend big. Make it big up there. Fucking her best friend. And she tells me everything. Another tribute paid to Keen Mulready was on the internet was by the international rap star Bugsy Malone. So I just have some bad news. That one of my fans, one of my young fans, has passed away. Kia Maridi Woods. I just want to send my regards out to his family and his friends. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to post his picture up now. Um, so, yeah. I hope the family's okay. Um, rest in peace. I'm 
imagine I would have hesitated Where would I be if I never made it, but I did Now I'm in a new seven bedroom crib With spotlights in the ceiling, it's sick No bean bag, I've got a Lamborghini on a ramp And I don't use it I've got a grand piano in front of the moaner And everything cocaine white Stephen Brain, crime editor with uh, the Irish Sun, is on uh, the line together with uh, the mayor of uh, Drada, Paul Bell. Good morning to both of you and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Stephen Brain, everything cocaine white uh, has led uh, to uh, the death of uh, this young man, it would seem, and uh, indeed uh, there's no reversing that situation. No, I think uh, when you look at society in general, Michael, you look all across Ireland, different parts of Ireland, and especially in areas of, of deprivation where you have young men, young women as well, you know, teenagers 13 up to 18, who are essentially being groomed by organised criminal gangs. They're being coerced into a life of crime. And indeed, when you look at the, the clothing that the Gardaí put out in their appeal for Keane Mulready Woods, you look what he was wearing, you know, the Hugo Boss, the, the Gucci uh, cap. And it's unfortunate that you do have criminal organisations out there in our communities who are training these young people and offering them, you know, uh, the, the lavish lifestyle, the designer clothes, you know, the, the, the quick cash and the, the status among their peers. And we, I think we have to remember as well that Keen Mulready Woods was a victim uh, in, in this terrible case of what happened to him. And, look, and he, he's someone who was uh, involved himself in these criminal gangs. But as teenagers, they all make terrible decisions and very often teenagers aren't aware hmm. of the consequences of their actions or whether they're getting their, themselves involved in. And some of this may seem glamorous, as you say, not just in terms of uh, the clothes that young people uh, are wearing as a result of uh, the money that they earn, if you like, from getting involved in all of this, uh, but there's also the fame and the notoriety that comes with all of this. And we hear these uh, American rappers uh, paying tribute to Keane uh, on the internet. I don't think we actually heard Vanchi Ferrari's uh, tribute to him, but we did hear a piece of uh, the music there about uh, what you might do to your best friend. Uh, and he was saying in his tribute to Keane uh, that he knew it was Keane's favourite song and that he hopes he keeps playing it for them in heaven. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great tribute, so it is, and it shows that the brutal nature of a teenager's death and what happened to him has resonated with not just the people in Ireland, but people outside Ireland as well, and it shows that people have been horrified that a young child, essentially a young boy, he had his whole future ahead of him, did make some bad decisions in his younger years, was involved in criminality, and but here, look at what happened to him, it's just horrendous, and I think... People are horrified by what's happened to him. You made headlines in the UK as well, mm. and some of the, the UK national papers too. And people were shocked that, that you know in Ireland you have organised criminal gangs who are prepared to stoop to this level, and uh, you know uh, torture and, and murder a teenager for dismembering his body. It, it's just horrendous. Paul Bell, you heard Bugsy Malone's tribute uh, to Keane there, saying he was gutted to learn of uh, the young teenager's uh, death and you heard some of his music talking uh, about how he was at nothing from his background and what his parents might have offered him and what his life would have otherwise offered him but after going into this lifestyle with everything cocaine white uh, he appeared to have all the best clothes all the best jewellery all the big cars all the swimming pools and so on what do you make of all of that? Well I suppose uh, just as uh, your guest there Sean is saying it's part of the culture and it's part of what attracts the young people into this way of life. And uh, it's also about identity in the community. It's about status um, and about 
um, have a certain degree of power and whatever way we describe power, be it negative or positive. Uh, and unfortunately, that's the kind of culture that's there. And uh, if you listen to the music, it's telling you about that type of culture. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I suppose expressing a, a deep sense of shock at how a young life can be ended and in the manner that it was ended. And it has made, uh, quite rightly, international headlines. And uh, I don't expect that uh, uh, this story will go away for a very, very long time. There will be appeals from uh, the pulpit uh, this morning uh, before Keane is laid to rest uh, and buried. Father Philip Gaffney uh, will uh, be the priest uh, who will... uh, give the ceremony today and he'll be asking young people to learn from the mistakes and to learn what happened to Keane and what it means or what it might mean for them if they get involved with dangerous criminals. I'm sure you'd echo that as the mayor of the town. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, and the people of Drogheda, five and a half thousand of them, made their presence felt about this very issue. Uh, but young people... Uh, if they are being groomed or they are being encouraged to become involved in criminal activity, have also to be supported in turning away from that life or indeed rejecting that life from the start. Anybody can become involved in criminal activity and turn their lives around. But there has to be choices, there has to be options, there has to be a way of encouraging young people to say, look, that's that's not my life, I don't want that life for me or for my family or for my community. Um, But there's a vacuum there. And lots of the lots of the communities that are suffering this criminality, uh, there's no support from the state or no support from um, various groups who need to be there to help these young people. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, while that's ongoing, I, I fear that there will be more and more of this type of um, criminality ongoing, uh, where young people find themselves in some type of situation where they can't escape it, uh, and then not being the victim uh, themselves mm-hmm. of a very very brutal regime, which is criminal gang warfare. Okay, but I I suppose it's a small community, uh, closely knit community, and uh, many people will be mourning uh, the death of uh, this child today. Mm -hmm. Uh, His sister has asked uh, his friends uh, if he has a a photograph of him uh, to have it on a a T-shirt, and I suppose that's Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, people can do. Uh, And I take it today uh, is a day where people should reflect on the loss of a human life. Absolutely. It is the loss of human life, a loss of a young life. Uh, but also, I think what has brought much of this home to the people of Drogheda, Ireland, and right, right beyond, is the brutality in which that child was, you know, basically treated. There was no respect, there was no dignity, there was no... It was just absolutely pure evil. The the message has to go out to young people and, and to the community that this is not acceptable. And we also hope today that, I suppose, many people have spoken to me this morning and yesterday, as the funeral is, 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 is to come about, about where are those individuals who are involved in this act? Uh, what, what progress is Angarashi Akona making? These are rightly questions that are being asked because the funeral itself is re- reigniting all those emotions which the people have felt in the town since forced the news of Keane's death uh, reached their reached their ears, I suppose, or made their newspapers. And I, I, and I today, talking to you, Michael, and, and Sean, I am still taken aback and still 
in a state of disbelief of how this has actually occurred and, uh, you know, what happens next, I suppose. Okay, thanks, Paul. Stephen, uh, I suppose you've uh, seen many funerals uh, that have uh, been similar to this in that somebody has died at the hands of another gang uh, or um, has been involved in gangs and has lost their life as a a result of it. Uh, Is there reason for people to be concerned locally today? This is taking place at 11 o'clock, about a half hour's time in Ballsgrove. I think people um, will will turn out in force. I think people, and you saw what the the mayor was just talking about there, the people that turned up at the vigil um, a few weeks ago, because people are sick of this. But I, I think maybe perhaps King's death, his gr- the gruesome nature of his death could perhaps be a, a watershed moment because you saw the people coming to uh, the streets of Drahana. They are, are fed up with this ongoing uh, gangland warfare. And, but it's the brutal nature of what happened to him. And, and hopefully, even if you have one teenager who was currently involved in organised crime with these gangs at the time of King's death, if they leave uh, the criminality, if they even you know um, get involved in something else or, or try and get out of this world, but it's often hard for teenagers to escape this life, but now that they can see that the reality of what can happen to them if they stay involved in criminal activity, you can either go to prison or you can either end up being murdered in such a brutal fashion. So I think people um, are are just um, horrified by what's happened, and we'll see that today. And there will be, uh, no doubt, you know, calls uh, from the pulpit for people to resist the temptation to get involved in organised crime, but also for people to come together express their horror at this but I think it's also important that we have to let the Gardaí do their job you know these types of Mm. investigations take time and of paramount importance is evidence once they have the evidence then I'm sure people will be brought before the courts because no doubt the people of Drogheda and Louth and indeed Ireland will demand justice in this horrific case I take it the Gardaí will have a a job to do today and there will be a sense of uh, security surrounding this funeral well, the Guardian have covered many funerals um, over the years, especially in relation to, you know, those who, who were victims of gangland criminal activity. And, you know, they, they'll, they'll keep a, a low profile, they'll be dignified, and indeed, as they are in many cases, I've seen it before myself. So, you know, this is about um, people coming together today, you know, remembering a teenager who did make some bad decisions in his short life, but uh, who ultimately you know, was subjected to a, a horrific death. And it's about his family and showing solidarity to his family, you know, that, um, that they aren't alone. And the wider Drogheda community as well, that who are fed up with this type of activity, it's about them coming together and paying their respects to a teenager who did not deserve to die in such a brutal way. Absolutely. And you believe uh, that uh, those uh, who do go to pay their respects will be safe, that the Gardaí will be on watch, on watch uh, to make sure that nothing happens at the funeral. And on watch possibly elsewhere in the town as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, I know tensions are high, feelings are high, there are a lot of emotions out there in the community, but you know, the Guardi will be well prepared for this, and I think no suggestion on social media or out there, a Guardi has received any intelligence that, you know, something untoward could happen here, people could be attacked. You know, obviously, you know, there will be people coming together in, in the aftermath. There is a, still a concern that you know, this, the, the feud uh, between these criminal guys is still ongoing. You know, the Guardi mm. are still out there, the patrols are there, the armed patrols, the prevention, you know, they're, they're out there trying to you know intervene and, and 
for them, the, the priority is the preservation of life. So I think that's continuing. It's, it's very important. What, what are you hearing about the investigation into Keane's murder? Because the terrible reality of uh, the situation today is that while his funeral is uh, due to be held in the next half hour, he'll be buried in part. There's body parts that are, are missing yeah. and there's searches yeah. ongoing for parts of, of Keane's body. Yeah, unfortunately, um, the, the Keane's torso in this case, and I know it's very gruesome detail, it's early in the morning, but the Guardi are still out there. They're still searching. They have an incident room in Drada. They have very experienced investigators who are, are looking into this case. You know, they're, they're trying to build up evidence. You know, they've drawn up a, a list of possible suspects. But in cases like this, you often find that some of the key players in the feud often go to ground. You know, over fears that the, the Guardi might come calling on the door and also that there could be some kind of revenge attack as well. So it's, uh, I think it's important that we do let the Guardi do their job, you know, that they're being led there by a very experienced officer in Christy Mangan, the chief superintendent. He's been down this road before. So um, I, I do think that, you know, it's still early days and you know, once they, they have the evidence, then I think we could see charges in this case. Okay, Stephen, thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Keen Mulready Woods funeral service will take place in uh, Ballsgrove at uh, 11 o'clock this morning. Our thanks to Stephen Breen, who's uh, the crime editor of uh, The Irish Sun, and also uh, to Paul Bell, the mayor of Drogheda. On Friday's programme, Father Phil Gaffney told us about the terrible task of having to bury a 17-year-old boy, Keane Mulready Woods, who was killed as part of an ongoing feud in Drogheda. Now, Father Phil Gaffney, parish priest of uh, St. Mary's Parish and Holy Family Church in Ballsgrove, uh, joins us. Uh, his name will be well known around the country. Uh, his name, I think, features in many of uh, the stories uh, that are on the front pages of uh, the papers yesterday after uh, the funeral of Keane Mulready Woods. Uh, a very good morning to you, uh, Father Gaffney, and thank you for coming into us uh, this morning. Uh, but uh, maybe you'd uh, talk to us about something completely different uh, this morning because uh, you'll be giving confirmation this weekend. Yeah, good morning, Michael, and good morning to listeners. Um, yeah, this weekend, as part of our preparation for confirmation here in the parish um, in a few weeks' time, um, I'm focusing on the role of the sponsor and the children will be bringing their sponsors to the masses um, this weekend. And uh, I suppose the last couple of years, I would have h- highlighted the important role of the sponsor in the confirmation programme. Mm. Because young people need uh, another adult in their lives. And, you know, like all of us, I suppose, we have a relationship with our parents, but it's important to have somebody else there for the children at that stage. It's an important stage in their lives. And if they have another um, person in their lives, maybe maybe that's a little cooler than their parents. To act as a role model. As a role model and to Mm -hmm. help them Mm -hmm. make that transition from primary school into secondary school because it's it's a difficult transition for teenagers and... Um, we need to give them as much support as we can. So I would be encouraging uh, the parents to um, see this as an important part of the children's lives as well, not just in their faith formation, but just in their uh, on the social scene and, and in, the, in their lives in general, that they just have somebody else to, to be there with them, to maybe to give them a little bit of guidance and help them.
I imagine it's true to say that for time immemorial, uh, people have struggled to understand their children, and and, and that's the way it should be. That's nature, if you like. Uh, I think the big problem today is that we're not just understanding them, uh, we're very concerned about them and how they may end up. And we were hearing about some of the role models uh, that young people in this locality, in your parish, are looking up to on the programme yesterday and tributes uh, that were sent on the internet to Keane from international rappers and how they were talking about getting yeah. into the drugs trade and what comes with it, the riches and the okay. big cars okay. and the jewellery and the white cocaine as they talked about it in some of the songs. Yeah, yeah I suppose, you know, it's it's the culture um, that these children are being brought up in now and, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about it and like we have invested a lot of money over the last number of years um, in our country say with the on the drink driving campaign and um, you know it has taken a lot of effort and time to get people to change their attitude towards things and I think with the whole drug culture now we all it's it's a it's a countrywide problem Um it's very acceptable that cocaine is part of a part of life part of party life and you know, you only have to go into any club or restaurant and you see it all the time. So mm. that we have to be aware that um, if we're taking drugs, you know, on a casual level, um, that we're, um, f- you know, fueling this whole um, a problem in our society. Because if the demand wasn't there, well, then these um, kingpins in the, in the drug culture wouldn't be making the money they're making, you know, mm. so... We have to look at it as a society that, um, and try and uh, make people aware of the fact that, um, you know, drugs is and is leading those chil- young children are being groomed by these criminals or brought into the culture, and um, you know they're being lured by um, gifts and money and all that. Mm. And uh, a vulnerable teenager, it's very attractive to them, and it's and you can understand a young fourteen or fifteen year old being offered. Um, these gifts and money and so on, and unfortunately, when they get involved, um, it's it's a, a vicious circle, and um, you know it's just it must have been a, a very difficult service for you, Father. Uh, I, I'm sure um, you've overseen many funerals, but the funeral of a, a child must always be difficult. But all the more difficult under these circumstances with armed guardy outside, uh, difficult for you, but all the more difficult uh, for family and friends. And uh, I know that you said yesterday you wanted to reach out with love and reassurance to the family. Well, I mean, the last four and a half weeks have been, you know, such a difficult time for um, Keane's mum and dad, Elizabeth and Barry, and his sister and brothers. And we spent a good bit of time with them. And uh, but I think what the unparalleled revulsion has come as a result of uh, the barbaric nature of his death. And uh, you know, I think anyone that have had heard of his death, you know, we are we're used to people. Uh, people being shot and losing their lives in this in this um in in you know in this drug culture but the manner in which this young man was was taken away was um, horrendous and uh, so at least yesterday there was a little sense of you know a, a sense of relief that mm. the, the family um there was a little bit of closure that now they could mourn they can go to the great the cemetery and uh, and remember him and um it was an opportunity, I suppose, to respect his memory as well, and their, his mm-hmm. friends were there. And mm-hmm. 
But um, was it, it a, a difficult decision for the family to decide to go ahead with the burial in the circumstances and to bury Keane in part? It was, it was, it was indeed. And uh, I mean, and I have to commend the the local guardy were very good liaison with the family, with ourselves, and and um, keeping them up to date on what was happening and so on. Now the family did request a private um, a private ceremony, a religious ceremony, um, which we had a couple of weeks ago just for the family and for his friends um, because they knew that they would be awaiting, uh, it would be another number of mm. weeks before um, a funeral would take place. But it, it was a difficult decision, but one that they knew. So at least um, we got together the, the family and we had prayers and um, in the church for them and as um, it's as they awaited mm. the news and I mean they were hopeful to the end that you know that the rest of the remains would be found but unfortunately that didn't happen you know. And if the rest of the remains are found and I know this is uh, terribly gruesome and uh, undoubtedly very hard for people to think about uh, but uh, would there be a question of exhumation and uh, reuniting the body as such? Well yeah I mean yeah, we, we suppose we have to deal with that when it comes but um Sometimes, if there's a, a post-mortem or, or um, maybe part of a brain sent away or whatever for um, analysis, um, it would happen that you would you would uh, at a later date um, bury the bury the uh, those remains when they, when they would arrive. You know. Okay, it's a young family, isn't this? Yeah, uh, very young so, family. Uh, so, yeah. Number of siblings uh, yeah. as well, and. Uh, how are they going to get through this, Father? I mean, you were talking yesterday in your homily uh, about faith and uh, you referenced St. Paul speaking about times in life when we must walk by faith because we cannot walk by sight. Uh, is it possible for this family to have faith at the moment? Well, I mean, it's it's one of the great challenges in life. I mean, when we face, you know, a, a very heavy cross to carry for any of us, um, it's times like that that we question faith, you know, uh, or question our faith, or we question the existence of God. And of course, there will be anger and uh, bitterness, and uh, it's all part of um, losing someone. And you know, and initially, it will be very difficult for the family. But you know, as I I mentioned yesterday, that you know, you you, you can go two ways. I suppose uh, you can either despair or find strength in faith. And I must say, I was I was heartened by their prayerful support of um, so many in the community. You know, mm. it's like at a time like this, it's hard for them to pray. But, you know, the mother was very anxious that his blessed rosary beads would go in with them. And, and um, but, you know, coming together as a community, which we did as a prayer service in, in the church, we got we got um, a great response from the community gathering mm-hmm. to pray for the family. Because at a time like that, it's the wider community um, that's their prayer is a support to them. And, we're hoping in um, on the March twenty ninth during Lent that we will have another prayer service, a uh, holy hour in in the church, and on the theme of reconciliation and healing. And uh, we've invited Father John Harris, um, who we used, was was a Dominican priest who used to be here in Drogheda, and he's going to come and speak at that. Um, and we also had that prayer service when Bishop Tom came up to it um, um, during that time as well. So. Um, all we can do, I suppose, as a community is a faith community to reach out to them to offer our prayers and support, which we have done. And we will continue to do that and continue to keep them in our prayers. And I would ask everyone to 
um, just to say a special prayer for the family because this is a, a particularly a difficult time for them and uh, it you know to bring mm. some sort of healing and comfort into their lives at this time. And I think if you walk around LMFM and uh, speak to anybody working here today, speaking to anybody working in this building, you'd find it very difficult to find anybody uh, who didn't know of Keane Mulready was because yeah. we all would have seen him regularly riding on his scrambler outside in the car park. Uh, and yeah. I believe uh, a helmet uh, was part of uh, the gifts that were brought up to the altar yesterday yeah. uh, and signified a different part of his life, uh, which uh, many of the young people, obviously, who were there, who wore T-shirts with his sure, uh, sure. photo on it and all of yeah. that, uh, would have identified with more so than perhaps some of the other parts of his life. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, and at a time like that, it's important for... There was a huge gathering of his of his friends there, you know, and mm. I suppose when I looked down at them to realise that, you know, they're only, a lot of them really are still children, you know, in their te- teenage years. And for them to take on board uh, what has happened to one of their, one of their friends, you mm. know, and uh, they have their own way, I suppose, of paying their respects to him. And, you know, his bike was his life and... Uh, you know, his mother would would have said that as well. You know that, um, you know, she she was she was constantly, you know, advising him and so on. Um, but you know that was that was where he, mm. you know that was his interest and his. It, it uh, obviously you know. was. It was an expensive machine, expensive clothing. And there was a lot of uh, money uh, in, involved, and that comes uh, with activity in this type of uh, behaviour. When you looked down on uh, the congregation yesterday and thought of the armed guards uh, outside, were you concerned or, or saddened or a mixture of both? Well, I suppose it's a mixture of both. I mean, it has been comforting over the last number of weeks to see um, the armed, uh, the response and the 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 amount of guard presence in the area. In another way, it's sad because, you know, they are just containing a situation mm. at the moment and I suppose we're all fearful that um, if that Garda presence um, is lessened in any way mm. that uh, we could have more um, violence mm. or more tragedy in the in the community, you know. So while it's comforting to see them there and um, I would urge people to, you know, to support them and I know mm. them, they have got, I suppose, because of the uh, brutality of this particular uh, murder and uh, they have got a lot of support mm. maybe more support than they would have before in relation to um, people coming forth mm. with, with information to them. Yeah, you know. and uh, and talk to you more about that in a, a moment because we ki- quite often uh, suggest to people if they are afraid to come forward that maybe they'd come forward to a, a priest uh, but it, it must have been impossible to look down on the congregation particularly the young people in the congregation yes and not be concerned that they're using drugs or selling drugs or involved in this that their lives are at risk or that they could be a danger to others or that there could be uh, somebody in their lives that's at risk because of association yeah and i suppose you know um when as you say when when i did look down at them and uh and that's why I mentioned the fact that, you know, Keane had his own troubles. He was he was young and naive and he maybe fell in with some of the wrong people. And as a young lad, not realising the dire consequences that that, that would have in his life. And um, I made the point to the um, young people, you know, that um, the danger for them is that if they if they continue to go that way, 
that the um, consequences, it, it you know, it'll inevitably end in tragedy for them as well. So I, I was trying to stress um, to them, and I'm sure their parents and would have said it to them many times, you know, to be careful um, who you associate with and who you get involved with because it, it may have uh, dire consequences for you down the line. So... Um, do you think they listen? Uh, and before you answer that question, can I ask you, uh, have any of the young people spoken to you, uh, not just in the last number of weeks, uh, because this is uh, not a, a new problem. It's a problem that's been in this community uh, for many years, and indeed communities up and down the country. Uh, but uh, are we able to speak to young children or are young children uh, willing to speak to us? Well, I think we have to reach out to them. I mean, and in the last few weeks, uh, we have a new priest joining us here in Holy Family now, Father Stephen Kennedy, and uh, the bishop has appointed him as chaplain to St. Oliver's yeah. Community College. And we've been up there a bit over the last number of weeks. And, you know, I, I would see the importance of of um, reaching out to the young people in, at you know in school and um, like Catholic Schools Week, we were highlighting this as well to them that... Um, and you know it's the medium we have of reaching these young people yeah. in, in in the school setting, and even it's back down to the primary school um at confirmation level um you know these children are twelve thirteen years of age need to hear um these you know harsh reality of yeah. what they're facing and you know I think we we have the opportunity um with programs in schools and so on, and I think we need to 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 do more there yeah. and to focus on you know the harsh reality of drugs mm. and, and at you know, a young age what about at, at, a, at a, an older age I, I mean are we able to talk to them on their level are we able to reach their level do young fellas talk to you about getting a, a bag or where they get it or how much it costs or uh, how much they owe or do they confide in you in any way well all? yeah I mean I, I I would I would be in touch with some families who mm. are in fear because of their um, and they would tell you that. Uh, you know the if they have a drug debt, and uh, you know the certainly a lot of parents in the community and and uh, are concerned because they're afraid of um, the repercussions of their children running up drug debts and so on. Mm. The availability the children will tell you straight the availability of of drugs. Um, one lad told me the other day. He said, "If you arrived in the Drogheda uh, in five minutes, you would get whatever you want if mm. you by just making a phone call." So. Um, you know the young people are aware of that, but um, I suppose it's it's the whole thing of the the whole community. The um, the concern I would have is that you know so many people are in fear, and mm. parents and grandparents of these children, and um, you know, uh, yeah. and, hope. and and there's different levels of fear, isn't there? I mean, nobody yeah. wants to be a rat. Yeah, I, I mean, you don't want to be a rat because. I mean, it's not yes, cool yep. for a start. Uh, who's going to want to befriend a rat? Uh, you don't want to be yeah. a, a rat uh, because uh, you may not be able to score yourself or you may be in danger as a, a result or whatever the case may be. Uh, but there's a, a lot of things uh, that are, are wrong in this town uh, and there's a lot of people who are being protected because nobody wants to be a rat. Uh, and yeah. we're talking about drugs, of course. We're talking yeah. about all sorts of drugs. Uh, but we're also mm-hmm. talking about the things that come with the drugs, uh, not just uh, the huge amounts of money or the fancy clothes or jewellery or whatever. Uh, we're talking sure. about the guns, uh, yeah. uh, the intimidation, uh, the violence, the the burning of houses uh, and so on, and the burying of bodies. Uh, I, I mean, uh, there's a, a child's torso somewhere. Yeah. It seems from the guard uh, investigations into this that that's p- 
possibly locally. And there could very well be people listening to us who have information on one or all of these issues. And as I said earlier on, there's different ways that people can give that. They don't need anybody else know that that information has been passed on. But one of those ways is through a priest. And I'm sure you'd make yourself available. Oh, absolutely. And I mean... um yeah, I'm, I'm I'm well aware of that. I mean that that, that culture is there, and uh, I am um, if if in any way any of us as priests in the parish can help out in any way. If somebody wants to come in confidence to us, um, I would be only only too delighted to facilitate that because I am very conscious. I mean, young people are very conscious as well of um, of being a rat, as you say. It, yeah. It's not cool, and it's it has consequences. So um, it would be great if um, I know I'm. I would certainly be available to um, talk in conference with somebody or if they want to come to us at any time um, and, you know, to liaise with the family or whoever it is in, in, in the strictest conference because, you know, I think somebody out there knows where um, Keane's torso is and so on and, you know, it would bring such comfort to the family um, to be able uh, to bring that closure there, you know, and... Yeah. I am, you know, somebody's out there, I'm sure, that knows where it is and um, is afraid to say anything, you know, but, um, and is is living with that as well. So for their own peace of mind, as well as um, uh, the comfort for the family, um, I would urge them to, if they have any information, Mm. to let us know and it can be done in the strictest confidence. And, you know, it, it would mean a lot, I'm sure, down the line for the person themselves because to live with that, and to live with it, knowing the fact that they're putting their family through such horrendous pain and suffering, which could be eased somewhat by mm. um, by this. So, please, if there is somebody, I would yeah. only be delighted. And to it, it's not just parts of Keane's body that have yet to be discovered. We quite often talk about three murders in this feud so far, sure, but uh, sure. it's most likely at least five murders. And uh, there's uh, the bodies of Willie Mohan and his girlfriend sure, Anna yes. and uh, Willie's father Joe has told me that he believes his son was also dismembered uh, and his okay, body parts okay. uh, buried in different locations. Uh, do you believe that there's any end in sight or do you think that uh, you may preside over another funeral service such as this? Well, I, I mean, I would be I would be hopeful. I mean, we have to be hopeful. Mm. And, uh, you know, there is always that danger, as I said, when the Garda presence um, is lessened, and I'm sure it will, it will in time. But at the same time, I think, you know, the, the brutality and the horrific nature of this one um, has brought everybody... To, to their mm. attention, you know. So I would hope that we as a community in the church and in the community can work together and uh, hopefully help these people to see that, um, uh, to make sense of the whole situation, that to bring peace back to our town and our community so that we can live in peace and that families are not being terrorised and uh, fearful of going to bed at night of what's going to happen. And I'm sure you know this already, Father, but if I I said to you that one of uh, the gangs involved in this uh, look on themselves and their families look on them as God-fearing Catholics, uh, what would you say in response to that? Well, you know, I suppose um, when it's it's a difficult one, um, but people find themselves in situations where um, you know, in life, um, you know, they go down the wrong way or whatever it is. And, you know, even in the midst of all this horror, um, you know, there's, if there's a spark of faith or spark of the divine in any of us, 
um, and it is even in the hardest of criminals. Um, so that's why I would I would uh, you know appeal to them that um, like as I said yesterday in in God's name uh, to let it end now and to come together as a community and um, make life you know better for all of us and for our children and for the teenagers that's growing up now that they're not looking at these people as heroes you know but and but seeing the reality that's out there for them you know okay phil thank you for coming into us uh, on the program uh, this morning father philip gaffney who's uh, the parish priest of uh, saint mary's parish and there you have it, just some of the issues that we've been discussing on the radio over the course of the last week on The Michael Reid Show on LMFM. We'll have another podcast for you next week.